0: And welcome back to Net Zero Carbon. I'm Anthony Smith, Chief Economist here at FreightWaves, and I have the honor to be joined by someone who is no stranger to FreightWave Airwaves, and that is the one and only Matt McClellan. He is the VP of Sustainability and Innovation over at Covenant. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Hey, thanks. Just a short drive over here. You know, you always give me the option to do
0: it remote. Yeah.
1: No, I just am right here in Chattanooga. Let me drive 10 minutes down the road and...
0: Well, I love this. I love the face-to-face. It it's always adds a little bit more, I think, production value, of course. And yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. So I live right across the street. So it's just like... You're kidding. I do. I live. I, 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 it's like a less than a two-minute walk. I just walk right across the street. So it's like that added production value just for a little bit of a, a yeah. commute. So it's always worth it. And always worth having you here on FreightWaves because you always have a ton of insight. And, of course, net zero carbon, something that we couldn't host without having some insights from you and jumping into it. What is going to be at the top of your mind? We're looking at, of course, of net zero carbon. We're looking at emissions. We're looking at what's going on with sustainability, of course, within the freight network or the freight industry, I should say. What's going to be one of the top things in your mind right now when we're looking at the industry overall?
1: Gosh, you know, it's dangerous asking me open-ended questions. (laughs) There's so many ways to start talking about, you know, the first thing that I tell people is that, you know, you have private fleets, which, you know, the people watching today, the the fleets watching today, some are private, some are for hire. We're for hire fleet. Our needs and goals and objectives are going to be very different than if I'm Pepsi or U.S. Foods or Cisco or... FedEx or UPS, these folks that are private fleets that have uh, environmental initiatives that are tied to sustainability plans, which are tied to everything from science-based targets and initiative, ESG goals and objectives. And, you know, they can afford to do whatever they want to do. Right we can only afford to do what our customers are willing to pay for. So, often, I think we were talking about this earlier, um, I can, I'll can, i get a question from somebody, so Matt, what's your sustainability strategy as it relates to getting to net zero, mm-hmm. um, reduction of emissions? And, you know, the answer to that is whatever our customers are willing to pay for. So, you know, for the last couple of years, uh, Anthony, it's been interesting because... You know, a lot of our shippers were just getting their arms around what that meant. And so, if I were to sort of rough sketch some sustainability or some numbers with electrification, you show that to somebody next to a diesel quote and they're just gonna say, wow, yeah, let me think about that and you never get a call again. right? Um, For others, now, you know, we're starting to talk to some of the more progressive, you know, shippers that have goals and objectives that, you know, they're really pushing their transportation buyers to be aware of. And they're willing to pay more. Now, still not substantially more, you know, we're getting to the point where somebody's not going to bat an eye when I give them a, a, you know, a price on what an electrified route is going to run, assuming that the use case and the range and all that fits into place. But yeah, it just depends. I would say though, to answer your question, we do have some some fleet initiatives to reduce idle percentage, always looking to increase miles per gallon. Um, and with those obviously comes some carbon reduction. But yeah, in a nutshell, I would say it depends. We do have, um, we did write a sustainability plan for this year, um, this public publicly available. You can download it, covenantlogistics.com. But I wrote um, this section on decarbonization of freight that just kind of talks about our position on it
0: and uh, kind of what we're gonna do to start whittling away at that number. And whittling away at it is is something that I think is going to be taken. That it seems like a lot of different approaches um, from mm-hmm. different companies, of course, as you just mentioned, but also different states. So we're looking at uh, some different initiatives, different countries. Then you go into the U.S. You look at some of the different initiatives in different states. It seems like California is one of the most active. And I don't think we can have a conversation about anything net zero carbon or anything that has to do with emissions within mm-hmm. the U.S. without talking about California and, of course, carbon. So,
1: and, and when you say CARB, it's not just California anymore. There's, at the moment, 16, I believe it now, it's 17 other states they are going to follow the CARB initiative. So, everything from inventorying in that state to um, following the same, you know, EPA standards and CARB standards are being adopted. Um probably three days ago, maybe not three days ago, because I would have been on Labor Day weekend, but maybe on Friday, I could have told you what those 17 states were, because I had them right in front of me. But, you know, basically to your point, it's gonna be a set of rules and regulations that start on the first of next year, and will go forward into like 2032 that requires, and you know, we could spend, a lot of time pulling up statistics and showing exactly what date, what percentage of the fleet has to be zero emission and inventorying and how the fleets that operate in the drainage ports are going to be different. The expectations to be different from those than over the road fleet, fleets like us, $50 million or 50 trucks versus fleets that fall outside of CARB. We could talk a lot about that and, and maybe it makes sense to kind of go into some of the details on that. I, I got to be honest with you, I don't have all of it committed to memory. I brought a couple of cheat sheets here. Okay. But just broad brushing, you know, um, we're very, uh, at Covenant, and I can share this on behalf of a lot of the other carriers uh, because a lot of the carriers that have sustainability initiatives that, that we do, we're peers, we all talk and we all are affected by the same carbon initiatives. We're all really excited about, playing a role in having a positive effect on the environment by changing our behavior. Right. Bridge technologies, which are kind of ways to start making subtle changes starting today. Larger changes like zero emission vehicles, um, which start kind of coming into play more and more as time goes on. Hydrogen is just starting to kind of get its legs and stations and some of the infrastructure is starting to be built out. We're all really excited about it, but we're also really sort of a little bit, um, what's the right word, a little bit um, cautiously optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. Yeah. What I mean by that is um, right now we're still having California talk about electrification and put all these requirements into place, but there's still parts of the state where you're not allowed to charge your vehicles during certain types of the day, during certain times of the year due to the power shortages. Um, there's some large fleets that I believe advertise and have, um, you know, been at your conferences that are sitting on trucks that they can't put into play right now because they can't get permits approved to build charging stations because of the lack of power in the particular populated, densely populated areas they're in. So there's a lot of ways to unpack that. What makes sense to talk about first? It's a that's a really big California is a really big topic.
0: So I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, of course, when I think of anything government related, um, from my economist mind, I always think, okay, whatever the deadline is double it in length. And of course, whatever the budget is, mm-hmm. maybe up it by another 50 to 75% because all these things are going to need to be interchanged a little bit. But when we're looking at, of course, this situation, it's not that we can keep pushing this further and further down the road. It has to come to a head at some point and we have to start course correcting at some point in time. And so I think the first thing is how achievable are, going to, are some of these deadlines that we're looking at hitting over here?
1: So, it's a great question. I think you phrased it really well. Uh, I have a, like you, I'm kind of a numbers person, right? I have a coffee cup on my desk that says, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it, you know, when you think about the leadership of California, you think about the governor, let's start there, right? Gavin Newsom, who, whether you agree with his politics or not, he created this crazy goal of, right, no... No, no gasoline-powered cars after, what is it, 2032 or 2034? Maybe it's 2036, and I think it's changed a few times. That's just not possible Yeah, for too many reasons to to list. And, and again, trying to be optimistic, right? Um, it, it's just not possible. But I do admire him throwing down the gauntlet and saying, we gotta get started somewhere. Right. So I'm gonna put this date on the calendar. And I think he has every intention of holding the OEMs to it there's just no way there's just no way they're going to be able to meet that so um you know you could say matt what date would you be comfortable with and i would say well you know 2032 2042 um you know it's interesting bill gates wrote this book called how to avoid a climate disaster. Yeah. It's one of my favorite books. I don't always agree with bill gates' position on a lot of things, but I do like a lot of what he says in this book about the environment. And in this book, you know, Anthony, he talks about um, net zero initiatives and how if you set a date on the calendar today, so if you're one of these companies that has a 2030, 2040, 2050 commitment, that roadmap is largely based on technology that has yet to be invented. Mm-hmm. Because there's, if you were to ask, say, for example, Microsoft, how are you going to be net zero? They're actually pretty progressive. They may be able to show you all the baby steps and things right. they're taking. By 2030, we want to be here. 2040, we want to be here. 2050, we want to be there. But if you're Amazon, you know, large shipper, complex network, right. lots of moving parts, mm-hmm. massive private fleet, they're probably banking on technology that has yet to be invented. So I'm with you, you know, but, you know, do you double that number? Yeah. Do you extend that date by a a factor of
0: two? I wish I had a crystal ball. (laughs) Right. And and I think the other big aspect that kind of comes to my mind when I'm looking at these initiatives is, okay, I I have this initiative, I put this in place, and while I am in charge, so to speak, I I am kind of taking responsibility for the progress or lack thereof. What does accountability look like for some of these companies that have these goals that are set by someone maybe in 2023? All right, this is where we plan to be in 2050 but they're not planning on being there in 2050. So what does that look like? Is that kind of like an open-ended goal? Like you said, just throwing something down and then just, you know, getting started because that's what's most important. The first, you know, the mm-hmm. first thing is the, just the first step. So in terms of just accountability, is that going to do you see as an issue when we're looking at moving forward here?
1: Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, I was just talking with one of our um when I say more progressive shippers, just you know, one of the ones that are really thoughtful, that have put a lot of thought into their sustainability initiatives. You know, it's very authentic. They really um, um, believe it. They can talk about it in very nuanced detail. So I was talking to one of these folks that is responsible for sustainability at a macro level. And he's sort of painting this picture of what they wanna do and how they wanna get there. But then a couple of days later, I'm talking to one of the transportation buyers, right? Who's talking to us about what sort of things can we do together? And so recalling this conversation with the, the top level guy, I'm talking to this person about, okay, well, let's put some numbers down. See, so, yeah, that's too expensive. I'm like, well, this guy said that this is really important and y'all need to do that. And what I've learned is that those two groups don't always talk to each other. And so goals and incentives for, let's just call it the chief sustainability officer and the VPs of sustainability always aren't in line with the people actually making the procurement decisions. Now, this is typically true of very large organizations, but I'm finding a lot of those two things are coming closer together. And so those groups are communicating more. They're being incentivized sometimes on the same thing. So, you know, I'm starting to see that kind of have a little bit of a course correction. Um, Still, at the end of the day, when you're talking about solutions that are, you know, two x better than where we are announced right. in terms of emissions. It's really expensive, but you know, I got to I got to take a, a little bit of a sidetrack here yeah, and I'll tell you yeah. about something that really does kind of bother me with a lot of this, and I almost want to look at the viewer and sort of talk directly <laughs> to them. Is you know, you know, when you think about the options that are available today to decarbonize an over the road eighteen wheeler, there's just nothing there mm-hmm. that can go for 400, 500 miles, 600 miles a day. In our case, we have a large expedited fleet, eight, 900 miles a day. There's just nothing available. Hydrogen won't get you that far, even if you could get hydrogen, you know, ubiquitously across that route. Electrification doesn't get you that far. So if you're that person, if you're the consumer that I want these things here tomorrow and it's gotta come from the other side of the country, a lot of the expectations that we have don't mesh with the sustainability requirements that we're setting. Not just for ourselves, but for the people that we buy and th- that we buy things from. So, you know, one of the things I, I tell people, especially when I speak publicly, is that, you know, we're part of the problem. We just can't expect us or our competitors or the aeromodal carriers or or really FedEx, UPS, Exxon Shell. We can't expect them to do the work. To some extent, we have to own some of this. Right. So small things that we can do. You don't have to have that Amazon product tomorrow. Certainly not within an hour, right? Remember when that was a thing? Yes. Um, I think we're going to have to start sort of, to meet these goals, we're going to have to start a setting our expectations a little bit differently than we do today. Does that make sense?
0: I think that's a great point because like you said, we were talking about the Amazon same day delivery in some places, um, or I want this by Mm -hmm. drone. That was gonna be a big thing at one point in time. I don't know if it's still coming to fruition or not, Mm -hmm. but really that expectation from the consumer. And then once Amazon sets it out, everyone else just kind of follows suit. They just Mm -hmm. have no other reason. I mean, other choice to, hey, Amazon's doing it. We don't, we're not quite there yet, but we have to try to find a way to be somewhat competitive. And so I think that's a great point. And the other big thing that I love that you mentioned earlier is some aspects around collaboration and partnerships, because Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that's a huge part here. Because when I think about the freight industry, of course, this is a business. People are here to make money. They're here to Mm -hmm. capture market share, continue to build their margins and expand. But at the same time, we're looking at this fragmented industry and this big goal that we have ahead of us what point does partnerships really kind of play here? Is this something that collaboration is just gonna have to be an essential part to really be successful here? Is this something that people are gonna have to just kind of wrap their minds around at some point in time?
1: You know, there definitely is gonna have to be collaboration, um, which is why one of the things I love about my role is I can call the chief sustainability officer at the largest, one of the largest fleets in the country and say, hey, trying to protect his name. "Um, I've got this, thing that i want to experiment with or i've got somebody that's trying to pitch us on this idea have you looked at this what are your thoughts on this is this something that you've invested in and even as competitors we can have that conversation together and eventually we'll get to a point where like okay i now it's getting weird because you know you were we're competitors and i have to sort of hold some cards close to my chest right but that really doesn't happen that often um there's a good friend of mine um you know, who's responsible for all the innovation and and, and future stuff in a large, large fleet that's 15 times the size of us. And we talk every couple of weeks about, hey, what great thing have you seen since we last talked? And so, yeah, collaboration is a big part of it. You know, rising tide floats all ships. And, you know, in memory of Jimmy Buffett, you know, who unfortunately passed away over the weekend. You know, we're all, you know, we're fishing in the same boat, you know, I can right. sing the song, but I'm not a very good singer. <laughs> we're all in the same ocean, fishing in the same boat, you know, in the same ocean, and so collaboration is a big part of how we're gonna get there. I, I'm excited for the future. One, one more thing, even yeah. with even with the OEMs, I'm starting to see the OEMs work together. That's, more and more that's often. huge. You know, I mean, uh, Daimler and Cummins getting together to do a, a hydrogen-powered truck. You know, these two, they compete against each other in the diesel engine market, but they're working together on this side. So
0: it's it's like a different form of transparency that's being brought into the industry. I think this is one for the common good that everyone can kind of get behind. And Matt, in closing, before we get out of here, is there something that you want to reiterate or an answer to a question you wish I had asked or something that you just want to leave our viewers with before we head out here as something that's maybe top of mind or maybe that you want to stick with them?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think just to touch on something I've already mentioned, you know, I think that a lot of the expectations that we have, um, that we try to project onto the people that we're buying goods and services from, we're just gonna have to change the way we think about the way we procure things. You know, we just can't always expect it to be here tomorrow, and and that's hard, right? Because you know, here we are in a age of DoorDash and Uber Eats. And I don't want to go anywhere, and I just want to hear quicker. And you know, our you know our um we get really frustrated when flights are delayed and 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 i just think that the expedited world that we live in which comes at a cost right. a carbon cost a carbon zero um you know, we just kind of have to maybe change those expectations. I'm older than you are. When I grew up in the '70s, my parents would turn off the lights, right? You know, and um, you know there was a power sort of shortage at some at one point. And I think in a world where just more and more of our innovations require electricity, require you know, you know this this quest that we're on for the flux capacitor, right? Renewable electricity at scale. You know, until we figure out what that is have to change our behavior a little bit that's what Absolutely. i'd leave everyone with
0: well matt I, I think that's a great piece to leave everyone with and of course insightful is always always an honor to have you on thank you so much yeah for thanks running. for
1: having me i'll come over here anytime excellent we'll yeah, love yeah. that There's a great place to eat down the street we could have lunch first and
0: come do this so i think I think it. we could turn this into a thing i like lunch on you yeah yeah lunch on me for sure and thank you all so much for tuning in that's going to do for this fireside chat but there's plenty more content coming up so stay tuned